the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, welcome to Pure Opelka. I think, uh, I think it's time. I think it's... I think it's time that we begin the program with some advice from the government. Uh, I think it's appropriate. I think, yes, your tax dollars paid for this, and I think your tax dollars should be utilized to the max. Ladies and gentlemen, a little advice on, on what's going on in the world today and how to deal with it, courtesy of the United States government and Bert the turtle. Sing along if you know. There was a turtle by the name of Bert, and the turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. He ducked. Yes. And cover. That's right. Duck and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You. And you, and you, and you, me, and cover. This was a public service statement brought to you by the United States government. I know what you're saying. What? What? Yes, yes, duck and cover. That's actually from 1951. And uh, your tax dollars at work. There was an extensive amount of information slash propaganda going uh, out and about. And you know what? Duck and cover, not a bad idea, except if you're really close to a nuclear bomb and it explodes, you're not going to duck and cover. You're going to flash and vaporize. And that's kind of the sad and grim reality of it. And why am I making light of all this? Simply because if we don't laugh, we will cry, right? Maybe not cry, but we might freak out a little bit. We might have trouble sleeping at night. There might have been people in your life, in your home, as uh, there were in mine, who were like, wait a minute, what? What happened? What did he do? What did he say? And what did the short, fat guy over in North Korea say? I'm not fat shaming him. I'm not height shaming him. I'm identifying him. Yeah, it was a weird day yesterday when we got the news that our intelligence agencies believe Kim Jong-un now has the capacity to put a tiny, little bitty nuclear 10 kiloton bomb on an intercontinental ballistic missile and send it here. And the president responded, as you heard him respond. And you know what? It is a little nerve wracking. It is a tad disturbing it is something that can make you at least try to pay attention. And if you heard Glenn talking about it today and how he was explaining it to his son, I thought it was a, one of the best monologues I've heard in a long time. I'm not kissing your butt, boss. I just really did think that was some great stuff. And I want to get into a president's reaction to this kind of a crisis. Because we, we are hearing, we are hearing from the president, the secretary of state, the vice president, all are making statements on this. Now, I suspect we might have 
we might have a statement from the president this evening. Maybe a formal address from Bedminster, New Jersey. I almost said from the New Jersey Oval Office, oh my God. I know, that's kind of scary to a lot of us. A New Jersey Oval Office? Forget about it. (laughs) You know what? Maybe the president needs to get holed up in the governor's mansion where Chris Christie is currently working on packing up his stuff because he's leaving soon. And maybe he could do an address from there. I got I got a copy of um, what I believe is a, a pretty close final draft of President Trump's speech to the country. I, do I have time to do it here? I think I do. I think I do, yeah. All right, this, this is, and if you want to tweet along or join in, the uh, phone number is 888-900-3393. 888 or at Stunt Brain. This is, and I can't even tell you where I got this, because I, I would get somebody fired so fired. But this is what I believe will be the president's speech tonight. You know, he'll throw in some, some ad libs. And wait, wait, what? They haven't even announced the speech yet? <laughs> oh, that's right. But it's coming. It's, it's more of a brief address because I think we need more than just a, an aside about fire and fury and our more powerful nukes than ever. So this is what I believe. And it's, it's kind of hard to, um, I don't do a Trump voice. Everybody does the word huge. It'll be huge. But I'm going to try and give you as much of a presidential tone as this speech has because I think it's I think it's actually pretty darn presidential. Good evening, my fellow citizens. Your government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance on the North Korean military buildup, especially its nuclear weapons. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of nuclear offensive missile sites are now being prepared in that imprisoned nation. The purpose of these missile sites can be none other than to provide nuclear strike capability against South Korea, Japan, and the United States. Upon receiving the first preliminary hard information of the nature of this last week, I directed our surveillance to be stepped up. And having now confirmed and completed our evaluation of the evidence and our decision on a course of action, this government feels obliged to report this new crisis to you in the fullest detail. The characteristics of these new missile sites and the intercontinental ballistic missiles indicate two very distinct types of installations. Several of them include medium-range ballistic missiles capable of carrying a nuclear warhead for a distance of more than a 1,000 miles. Each of these missiles, in short, is capable of striking South Korea, Japan, and the region, obviously, which would threaten China and Russia. Additional sites are not yet completed, appear to be designed for long-range ballistic missiles capable of traveling more than twice that far, making Guam in the crosshairs 
and ranging as far north and far east as the United States of America. In addition, the Cuban, the um, the North Korean Air Force and bombers capable of carrying nuclear weapons are now being assembled on their air bases and being prepared. My stumble there gives away the reality here. This is not a speech Donald Trump will deliver tonight. No, if he only would. If he only would give a speech in that tone, I think a lot of us would be a lot calmer today. This is, in fact, a speech from a long time ago, when I was a little kid. This is from October 22nd, 1922. 1922, 62, October 22nd, 1962, when John Fitzgerald Kennedy addressed the nation and said this. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, Unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Only last Thursday, as evidence of this rapid offensive buildup was already in my hand, Soviet Foreign Minister Gromyko told me in my office that he was instructed to make it clear once again, as he said his government had already done, that Soviet assistance to Cuba, and I quote, pursued solely the purpose of contributing to the defense capabilities of Cuba, unquote. That, and I quote him, training by Soviet specialists of Cuban nationals in handling defensive armaments was by no means offensive. And that if it were otherwise, Mr. Gamico went on, the Soviet government would never become involved in rendering such assistance, unquote. That statement also was false. John F. Kennedy, October 22nd, 1962, as the president of the United States told the nation that we had a nuclear threat assembling just 90 miles off the coast of Florida. A president who went on to sweat out the Cuban Missile Crisis, and finally stare down the Soviets. And that night, the president announced that there were going to be some steps taken. Number one, they were going to strictly quarantine all offensive military equipment that was being shipped to Cuba. In other words, a blockade around Cuba to turn back any, any ships that will be carrying weapons. Second, he directed continued and increased surveillance of Cuba. You know, they were our enemies. We didn't have, we did not have an embassy back there, and I still think they're a, a group of bad people there. Third, it was the policy of America to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the West as an attack on the United States requiring full retaliatory response upon not just Cuba, but the Soviet Union. Kind of like Article 5 of NATO, right? Fourth, 
The president reinforced our base at Guantanamo, evacuated the dependents and personnel, and ordered military units to be on a standby alert status. Fifth, they asked for the the organ of consultation under the Organization of American States to consider this a threat to hemispheric security. Yeah, I would think so. And the U.N. asked for an emergency meeting of the Security Council to be convoked without delay and take action against the Soviets, uh, a.k.a. uh, the Russians. And finally, the president called upon Nikita Khrushchev to halt and eliminate this, as he called it, clandestine, reckless and provocative threat to world peace to stabilize relations between the two nations. This was... This was one of the most stress-filled moments of my life when I was, as I said, a mere stripling. I was five. And I remember coming home and having uh, my mom explain this to us, what was going on, because we didn't understand it. We had no idea what this was all about. All we knew is that every parent was nervous And that the nuns at Our Lady of Perpetual Help School were giving us a little drill on how to run into the hall and put our head between our legs. And as one of the uh, more advanced comedic voices in our class would say, and kiss your butt goodbye. It was 1962. It was October 22nd. JFK faced a serious nuclear crisis. America faced a serious nuclear crisis. Thank God. Thank God we did not see a missile launch. And thank God we had a president strong enough to understand it wasn't just Cuba, but there were willing co-conspirators in this this, uh, setup of nuclear missiles in Cuba. It took diplomacy, it took courage, it took guts, it took American strength and the commitment to say, if you do, you will be the recipients of the full fury of the United States of America, the power of our military. And on this day of the bombing of of Nagasaki in Japan, the anniversary of that moment, that horrific moment when, when Truman had authorized the dropping of a second nuclear warhead. And instantly, 74,000 people vaporized. Well, in this case, as, as we've all heard the estimations, the numbers would be millions if there were to be a nuclear conflict in that region. Millions. If you've ever been to the UN and, and walked around, there's a powerful exhibit that shows items they preserved from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, pieces of metal that endured and and survived somehow the nuclear blast, statues that were permanently altered because of the blast. And you don't think about what what that, that horror would do, that nuclear explosion would do, and you understand that people are just gone instantly. And then you see that steel and, and stone and, and marble are affected by it as well. You see, you see the power. And I think you hope and pray that that power is never unleashed. Again, I think we all do. This guy, this 
Kim Jong-un, he didn't just come up with this. This is a long time coming. And I think it needs great minds, great patience, and great perseverance to make sure we stem the attack. We cut it off now. But what to do? I don't have the answers. We'll talk about the roots of this, and we'll get into it a little bit deeper. And I've got some feelers out to some of the members of Congress who have opinions on what we should do. And we'll get into that as well as don't forget, it's Wellness Wednesday. Yay, Dr. Jorge joins us top of next hour because we have big things to deal with. But uh, we'll get a little deeper into this as well as the statement from General Mattis. Don't everybody freak out yet. The Secretary of State's response next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. North Korea's rhetoric has just ratcheted up louder and louder and more threatening. So I think the president, what the president was doing is sending a strong message to North Korea in language that Kim Jong-un would understand because he doesn't seem to understand diplomatic language. I think Americans should sleep well at night and have no concerns about uh, this particular rhetoric of the last few days. I think the, the president, again, uh, as commander-in-chief, I think he felt it necessary to issue a very strong statement directly to North Korea. But I think what the president was just reaffirming is the United States has the capability to fully defend itself from any attack and defend our allies, and we will do so. And so the American people should sleep well at night. I like that. That's Secretary of State Rex Tillerson talking about the uh, statement from the president about the fire and the fury, unlike anything we've seen before. And he's probably right. Think about the advances we've made in our nuclear technology since Nagasaki and Hiroshima, since Fat Man and Little Boy were dropped. You know we've, we've made them smaller, more powerful, uh, more devastating. But that's the Secretary of State, a guy who is actually over in the region, not too far away. And he said America should sleep comfortably. So I tend to believe Rex Tillerson. I think he's a grown up. And I think between uh, Secretary of State Tillerson and the president making what he called, if you noticed it, a strong statement from the commander in chief. That was a message to China Russia and North Korea and to Japan and South Korea basically saying we got your back there's more on this we'll look at the roots of what's going on in North Korea just around the corner on Puro Pelkin You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. It's uh, it's a day that we're trying to take down a little bit of the stress and tension, to dial it back, to to speculate on on how we would feel if the president of the United States came out tonight from the Bedminster, New Jersey, temporary Oval Office and said, my fellow citizens, let no one doubt that this is a difficult and dangerous effort on which we have set out. No one can foresee what course it will take or what cost or casualties will be incurred. Many months in which both our patience and our will will be tested. Months in which many threats and denunciations will keep us aware of our dangers. But the greatest danger of all would be to do nothing. The greatest danger of all would be to remember that statement from John F. Kennedy, 1962, October 22nd. Kennedy closed that address on the Cuban Missile Crisis by saying, Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom here in this hemisphere and, we hope, around the world. God willing, that goal will be achieved. I get a chill. I get a chill when I read some of JFK's speeches. And they're worth looking up on the YouTubes. But can you imagine if if Donald Trump gave that speech that his ratings would skyrocket. And not that this is all about ratings, but I'm just saying. Now, as we were talking about, how did we get here? How did we suddenly end up here with with North Korea, a nation whose people are eating dirt, and yet they have the money to build, to build nuclear war, to miniaturize them, then to be able to build the rockets, both long-range rockets, now they have intercontinental ballistic missile capability. How did we get here? What did John F. Kennedy say? What did he say back when faced, when America was faced with the Cuban Missile Crisis, when, when we were faced with the Soviet Union, a.k.a. Putting nuclear missiles into bases in Cuba, 90 miles from American soil. What did John F. Kennedy say when he was telling the American people about this crisis and how we were going to confront not really the Cubans, but the Russians, because they were the Russian missiles? Excuse me, Soviets. Kennedy said... The greatest danger of all would be to do nothing. Kennedy, a guy who whose picture is probably in the office of every Democratic member of the House and Senate. Somewhere they've got a JFK reference. Somewhere. He's the patron saint of the modern Democratic Party, when in fact it ought to be in every Republican. He's the last the last Democratic senator to cut taxes, understanding that income tax cuts are what sparks an economic growth. He's the last, the last Democratic president to understand that big goals like getting us to the moon and back within the 60s 
would in fact drive a generation and put America in front of the entire world and show off American exceptionalism. JFK, the greatest danger of all, would be to do nothing. Let's fast forward to a guy who got to be president partially on the fact that he had a picture of himself as a young boy with JFK. He was the man from hope. William Jefferson Clinton, the man from hope. Here he is talking about, as president, talking about North Korea and what to do. Before I take your questions, I'd like to say just a word about the framework with North Korea that Ambassador Gallucci signed this morning. This is a good deal for the United States. Huh. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. Yeah. South Korea and our other allies will be better protected. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. South Korea, with support from Japan and other nations, will bear most of the cost of providing North Korea with fuel to make up for the nuclear energy it is losing. And they will pay for an alternative power system for North Korea that will allow them to produce electricity while making it much harder for them to produce nuclear weapons. The United National Inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. Only as it does so will North Korea fully join the community of nations. I think you get that, that special rating for that 57 center. I think you get the epic fail. On every single point there. Every damn point there. That's from October 21st, 1994. William Jefferson Clinton announcing proudly all of the great things he's worked out with North Korea and all of the things that they did not live up to. And here we are. Here we are. Faced with uh, a crisis. A nuclear missile crisis. And judging from the words of one of the great presidents of my lifetime, the greatest danger of all would be to do nothing. Bill Clinton presided over two terms where we coddled, we made deals, and we really didn't have diplomatic relations with Korea, so guess what? We couldn't see if they were living up to their end of the bargain, but we just had to trust. I go back to another great president who said, trust but verify. North Korea did not wake up one day and go, you know what? We just need to go to the nuclear store and pick us up some of those intercontinental ballistic missiles so we could, we could be uh, able to threaten the world and then they'd be, uh, I don't know, held hostage by our ambitions? No, this has been going on for decades. This has been going on as we look the other way. Now, Clinton, Clinton wasn't the only president between right now and Donald Trump. There were Republicans out there, too. And we haven't been able to crack the code to solve the North Korean problem. But it didn't happen overnight. It's not going to get fixed overnight. Now you have General Mattis saying North Korea must cease those actions that would lead to the end of its regime. Gee, what does that mean? The end of its regime. 
Hmm. Every word now that comes out of this administration from people like Mattis and Tillerson are words that are, are crafted, are statements that are written, vetted, analyzed, tweaked, edited, whatever you want to say. These are messages of statecraft. These are messages of, of warning in the case of Mattis to the North Koreans. He's not saying we're going to kill all the North Korean people. That statement is a clear warning to Kim Jong-un that his time would be up. You must cease the actions that would lead to the end of your regime. North Korea is now officially on notice. It's not just the president. Although I, I do believe Secretary of State Tillerson brings certain comfort to the conversation. Secretary of State Tillerson came out with the statement that we should all, we should all just be able to sleep at night. So your loved ones, my loved ones, you, me, everybody else, I, I do think that the team this president has assembled, from Mattis to Tillerson to Nikki Haley, is an all-star team in, in terms of international diplomacy. Tough and fair. And they're fighting for the exact same thing. Kennedy, again, I'm going back to the speech. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom here in this hemisphere. And we hope around the world, God willing, that goal will be achieved. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Crazy day here. I know I've spent the entire first uh, hour so far talking about North Korea, but I'm sorry. This is a really important, important time in our history. In my life, I don't remember actually since the missiles of October, I don't remember ever being afraid that uh, a nuclear war could actually be about to break out or a nuclear attack. And yet I kind of feel like this guy, this North Korean guy, I don't think he wants to, but I think he's capable of doing it. So I hearken back to the days when, when we faced this back in 1962. And I, I was this, as I said, I was a little kid. I came home from kindergarten and, we all had questions and mom sat us down and explained what was going on. And that's that story. I should link to that original story of me explaining my mother telling us the difference between communists and, and free people, capitalists, like we had here in the United States of America. It's one of the greater, greater moments of my young life, but it all came from that October in 1962 as we moved from the south side of Chicago to a Wonder Years-like suburb 
called Glenview, Illinois. It was a magical moment. Also, at that same time, at the exact same time, it was uh, like 61 and 62 that JFK, Jackie, and the kids, and Macaroni the Pony lived or spent their weekends outside of Washington in a little place, little, I think it was about 150 acres, in Northern Virginia. It was a, a place that, that was accessible pretty much by car. It took you about 45, 50 minutes to get there from D.C. But they would fly on a military helicopter to get to this spot. Not Marine One at the time. It was an Army helicopter. Actually, I have pictures from the Kennedy archives. But last year, I was digging up stories, and I found the story of the house that JFK and Jackie rented before they built the house they would eventually use for their weekend getaways. You see, they didn't travel to Camp David all the time either. A lot of presidents did not. But this was a property in northern Virginia, in a teeny tiny little place that's mostly horse farms now. There are vineyards and horse farms in the area. But the property was built in the 1880s. Maybe earlier, maybe 1830s. And it had out buildings that housed stables and places where um, workers would live. The Secret Service took up in one of the houses where the workers would live in the early days when this was a horse farm slash plantation. But JFK and Jackie and the kids lived in the main house. And underneath the main house, just outside of the main house, there actually was a bomb shelter. I know, it sounds amazing. To think about the fact that the President of the United States rented a house outside of Virginia. He would go there, travel there by helicopter so he could spend weekends with Jackie and John John and Caroline and Macaroni the Pony. And they had a bomb shelter. I have a about a 30-second video that I'm going to post on Twitter after, uh, after we visit with Dr. Jorge, as well as some pictures of this property. It's an amazing bit of history to walk through and to think uh, up until recently when they did some of the renovations that um, Jackie and John slept here. And there, there was a library there that still had some of the signs of the early 60s, the pass through to the bar and the kitchen and the entire setup. And there were extra lines that were put in for Secret Service to be able to, to contact D.C. and make sure they kept the president safe. I have a whole bunch of pictures I should post on it. But I thought particularly interesting today was the 10 by 10 bomb shelter with the steel beam across the top that was just outside the front door. And I just wonder if, if the president and first lady ever ever had their own drills to run down there, especially during the fall of 1962. I perhaps think he rarely left the White House that month because things were so tense between America and the Soviets. But maybe Jackie and John John and Caroline and their Secret Service agents regularly drilled to run down those little steps. You can see the picture of the entrance on my Twitter account. 
We'll talk about that. And we have Dr. Jorge, and he's going to answer your questions on Wellness Wednesday. Next on Pure Opelka. With Michael Belka on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Michael Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Puro Pelka. It is the second hour of today's show. We dedicated the first hour of today's show to uh, the crisis right now. And we'll get back to that crisis, the situation with North Korea and its threats against America and our territory of Guam. And why Guam, you say? That's where those B-1 bombers were based, the ones that did the flyover last week. This guy's not an idiot. He may be uh, unpredictable and and a little bit crazy, but he's not a dummy. Far from it, in fact. But we'll we'll get back to that. And if you do want to see, I posted the picture of the entrance to the JFK bomb shelter of the that was on the property. He and Jackie and the kids were in early on in his presidency. I posted the entrance on my Twitter account at StuntBrain. You can see it. I'm going to take you inside via video later on this hour. You'll be able to go on Twitter and see that as well. I think it's fascinating to think that we actually had a president who wasn't in a, uh, in a bomb shelter underneath, underneath 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but on the weekends he actually had a a place in the country that he rented, let's think about that, rented a home for he and Jackie and the kids and, of course, Macaroni the Pony. Joining us, as he always does on Wednesdays, um, Dr. Jorge Rodriguez. You can find him at drjorge.com. One of my friends, uh, he's also, I think, one of the best guys for explaining medicine and health and giving us common sense solutions. I still point you, if you are worried about the diabetes, the Diabetes Solution book has common sense uh, info and recipes. So check it out. It's on Amazon. It's been out a couple years. So it's, it's, uh, it's not a book that goes away because the, the knowledge is forever. But Dr. Jorge's back with us. And, and welcome back, sir. How are you? Thank you. I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nervous, but thank God Secretary Tillerson said he's sleeping well. There's no imminent threat. We should all sleep well. There's no need for duck and cover drills. So I'm trying yeah, to ratchet it down a little bit, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it is very um, anxiety producing. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't want to get it. I want to get editorial here. But well, I uh, what yeah. I I opened the show today, Doc, reading. Uh, Kennedy's speech to the nation from 1962, which I think is a a direction I wish we would go. 
And if uh, if you haven't seen it, I'll tweet out a link to it. It's it's actually five yeah. minutes of video that's worth sharing with friends too. It's it's statesmanship, as well as strength and a belief in peace. Uh, it, it, he just was so spot on. In in the the only other time I remember being concerned about a nuke was when was I was five, crisis. and that happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I'm, I was born in Cuba, and I, I remember that very well. I mean, that was after we were already here and in Miami. You know, I could see the planes flying overhead going to Homestead Air Force Base um, in southern Florida, which was the, the closest American base to Cuba, um, obviously short of Guantanamo, which is in Cuba. But, yeah, it's scary. And, you know, I, I'm reminded, I think it was Roosevelt who said, you know, speak softly, but carry a big stick. And words matter. And uh, I just think that, you know, diplomacy is the key, but people need to know that America is strong and will act you know, to protect um, our own uh, interests. And our uh, friends you know, in that region who I... Ab- yeah, absolutely. Our friends throughout the world. You know, and yeah. that's, what, that's what we need to, to realize. I mean, isolationism is, in my opinion, um, something that sounds good in theory, but it's a thing of the past. You know, it's, it's one big connected world, um, well, whether we're, we like it or it, not. It, it yeah. is... It is until you get one jack wagon with 60 nukes. And that, that's that's a no, the whole different exactly. can of beans that we need to get to yeah. eventually. But I got I got a question sent to me by one of the regular yeah. listeners of this show who happens to be a huge Dr. Jorge fan. And she said, you got to ask him this. So this comes from the Duchess on Twitter, who said, what's the deal? Are doctors and nurses allowed to bring cell phones into the operating room because it seems like it would be really gross and unsanitary and unsafe. All right. Yeah, uh, no, they're not allowed to bring cell phones into the operating room uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the least of which is probably um, the fact that they may contain germs, and I'll explain that. But they are unsafe because they are distracting just as they are in any job. And that's one of my big pet peeves nowadays with a certain, you know, I think, generation of people that grew up with them. You know, when they're working, they are trying to be on their cell phones, and you need to focus on your job. And, and nowhere, probably more than in an operating room, whether you're a nurse, whether you're the physician operating, whether you're the anesthesiologist behind, you know, the curtain. All of those are, are important. Um, you know, the, the surgical tech that's handing the instrument to the surgeon, that's all important. Um, but let me reassure her, there is something in every operating room called a sterile field. So it is a field around the patient um, that is probably a foot, and nothing can penetrate the sterile field uh, that has not been sterilized. And there Mm. is a nurse in in every operating room whose one of their sole jobs is to make sure that nothing penetrates the surgical field. So, for example, the front of the surgeon's gown, the mask, the gloves, the same thing with with the nurses, all of that has been sterilized. If a surgeon or a nurse, for example, puts their hand down to scratch themselves or or penetrates the sterile field, guess what? They have to leave the sterile field. They have to be reclothed. They have to change their gloves. They have to rewash their hands, and then they have to reenter the sterile field. So having um, a cell phone within that sterile field around the patient is not only unheard of, it is technically malpractice you know you really do have something there my concern is not that like i said my concern are cell phones 
in an operating room where the person is distracted, all right, because they're taking personal calls, because they're checking their stocks, you know, because they're checking TMZ, whatever. So cell phones have no place um, in an operating room at all. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Now, the the flip side of this, Doc, and this has been one of my pet peeves, I see people I know who work in medical offices, doctors, nurses, physicians, assistants, whatever, wearing the scrubs out in public. And I'm thinking, I hope you're not going back, going to the office after you've been sitting on that dirty subway seat and then going into a treatment room or worse, into a, an operating room wearing those same scrubs. I hope you would change. I just this yeah. one disturbs it, me. I know it's a badge of a, honor, but come on, people. I agree. In an operating room. You do not wear the same scrubs, all right, that you um, wore outside. And in every operating room, you put on a second layer of sterile gowns, uh, those little booties over the shoes, over the head and the hair. So everything that is put on is sterile. Uh, Even when I do colonoscopies, we put on gowns, you know, and again, seriously look look what area of the body i'm dealing with the colon so that's not very sterile but we we always use uh sterile technique with all of those and when i see that also you know i i don't like it either and to be quite honest i think it's people that are sort of trying to show off in some way which is which is ridiculous sure you know um yeah but those things the the scrubs are not entered into any sterile environment uh without being covered and or being removed so well, I, brought, on that. I brought it up to one of my uh, doctor friends. He's like, what's my uniform, man? I have a uniform. And I'm like, okay, well, calm well, down. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. No, we doctors are, are, you know, we like to protect our egos at all costs. Um, I said, well, where's your white lab coat? Aren't you supposed to have a white lab coat on, too? And he, he, he had a different answer for me. But speaking of colonoscopies, and that's the first yeah. time I've ever said that sentence anywhere, uh, there's... There's a, a, a spike in, in colon cancer, uh, and was there it is. colon and rectal cancer? It's colon and rectal cancer, and since 1970, the incidence, which means how frequent a colon cancer occurs in, in the community, and the deaths from colon cancer have been decreasing. I mean, it's a beautiful, like, downward sloping curve. Until you get to, for some reason, 2003, 2004, and hmm. then the deaths in colon cancer have been increasing steadily every year. And what's even more concerning is that it's the deaths in people, in young people between the ages of 20 and 50 or 54. Why is that concerning? It's because the recommendations for screening for colon cancer, all right, are, are not until the age of 50. So they don't suggest anybody screening for colon cancer until you reach 50. But here, we have an increase of approximately 1% to 2% per year, cumulative over the last 10 years, of people that are under the age of being screened, and they are dying and, and having more colon cancer. So over the past 10 years, that age population, between 20 and 50, colon cancer has increased almost 14 to 15%. And what's also interesting, people oh, well, people are getting fatter and obese, and that's a risk factor, and it is, but... There is a huge difference between the white Caucasian population and the black population. And you would think because African-Americans tend to have more high blood pressure and diabetes that it might be higher 
in the black population, the black population has stayed steadily decreasing, whereas the white Caucasian population is where the increase has occurred over the past 10 years. And we don't know what this means, and we don't know why it's happening. But what it does say is if you don't think that you're at risk for colon cancer, get yourself checked anyway, Uh, because the main sign of colon cancer is no sign at all. First of all, that that should be a big shock to everybody. The main sign of colon cancer, the big symptom of colon cancer is no symptom at all. So how is it something we can discuss on this show? Is there an indication? Sure it is. I mean, the nerve endings of the colon are outside the colon, not inside. Pretend it's a tube. It's not on the inside of the tube. It's on the outside. So if a colon cancer is growing on the inside of a tube, you're not going to feel pain until that sucker has eaten its way to the outside and starts munching on the nerves, or it's so big it's caused blockage. One of the Mm. symptoms and signs that we do see is people having blood in their stool, all right, people becoming anemic because of slow drips of blood that you may not even see. And again, remember our friend, Whoopi, what did she say about prostate cancer? Shut up and get tested, right? I think she was more graphic than that. Well, she said, shut up, bend over and live. Well, you know what? The same thing about colon cancer. (laughs) Shut up, bend over and live. If If it means that you have to have a rectal examination and have your stool checked on a yearly basis when you go see your doctor, small price to pay to live. Um, and now, that's what it may take. Yeah. Now, Doc, when, when we see a spike like this, and do, this is Dr. Jorge, uh, our regular guest on Wellness Wednesdays, when we see a spike like this taking place in a specific demographic, white males, and you were saying like 25 to or 20 to 50, 50. that right. we hadn't seen it before, uh, what, what, do, what do we do to find out what's causing it? Do they just bring in everybody who's got it and try and find a thread? How do they, they, are, they track are, this They down? are trying to do that. They are doing that to see if it's something genetic, but it seems like it's more than just individual. It seems like it's something population-wise, right, because it's, it's being seen throughout um, the country and actually maybe worldwide. So this is where the statisticians have to go in and analyze thousands of records all right, and put in many variables. Is this patient male? Is this patient obese? Is this patient have diabetes, high blood pressure? And then they analyze, or, you know, is there a family history? Then they analyze all of that and see if statistically something falls out and, and they can start pointing to it. I personally think um, that we may have a younger population that may not be as mobile, may not do as much exercise, may be a little bit more overweight. Uh, It could be that the additives that are in our food starting at a certain age, you know, are now rearing their ugly heads. I read the statistic that was kind of alarming. Somebody born in 1990 has twice as great a risk of having colon cancer as somebody born in 1950, right? So that says something, I think, about what we are putting into our bodies and what we are being bombarded with um, on a daily basis. That's just my opinion. There isn't any proof of that, but it, you know, it just seems to be logical to me that there are a lot of things irritating our colon, uh, colon preservatives, colon additives um, that don't need to be there. Well, I, I certainly know there's a lot of, a lot of things irritating my colon today. It's a, it's a different discussion altogether. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> Thank maybe you. not. You know, stress, you know, maybe not. Stress and all these things that release cortisone in our bodies have been shown to contribute to a higher rate of many diseases, you know, including different forms of cancer. So, you know, having all this stress and all this information and not knowing what to do with it, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe we are living in, in an age where we are constantly getting bombarded with all this information that we can do nothing about. Um, so, yeah, you, you were joking, but it might be, you know, maybe contributing in some way. Maybe it's, you know what, Doc, it might be also along the lines of something as ubiquitous as a cell phone or a hundred other different things that are part of lifestyles well, that are not food. Could be, but, but, I, just wanna, but I, don't even, I don't even want to know how you answer your phone then if you think it contributes to colon cancer. So <laughs> we'll just leave it right there. <laughs> Some ass keeps calling me. I, I I'm sorry. I'm, I'm way off the reservation today, we doctor. Generated for sure. That's... Uh, you know, it's, it's all about how we deal with the stress and the craziness. I, I gotta I gotta hit a break, but I don't wanna I don't wanna do it before we mention tonight collide.com, another episode of Dr. Jorge's Battle Against Weight. Is that tonight? That is tonight, five thirty Pacific time, eight thirty Eastern time, and today uh, we're gonna start talking about the dreaded word exercise, something that's Ooh. necessary. Yeah, right. But uh, it's important. Absolutely. It- very yes. important. Thank Go you, ahead, my friend. Please. I really appreciate all this stuff and all, all the clarity you bring. And uh, we'll be there tonight, Collide.com, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific, and you guys do the math in between. We'll talk next week, right. Doc. Thank, Thank you. you. Stay calm, everybody. See you next Stay week. Stay calm, next please. Week. De-stress. We'll be right back. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka on this uh, crazy Wednesday. But uh, happy happy we had some time with Dr. Jorge who brings clarity. He wants to do a show where we just line up all your questions for a half hour one day. And you guys will be able to call in and or send email questions, text questions, whatever. He really would love to do that. So uh, if you're into it, let me know, and and we'll put it together with the good doctor. It's something that's important to him, and I think it would be good for all of us. So uh, stay tuned on that one. Um, before we wrap up this half hour, I need to remind you about Relief Factor. I take Relief Factor. I've been taking it since April 7th, and I make sure it's part of my day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's an all-natural solution that helps the irritation, the inflammation around my knees and my hips and my back diminish. And when the irritation goes away, the pain goes away. Most people, Relief Factor works in 7 to 10 days. For me, it was on day 8. I'm not a super achiever. It was day 8. And I noticed the inflammation going down because I noticed the pain going down. And I've been on it ever since. Get the three-week quick start pack right now. Pick up the phone and call them at 
at uh, 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384. It's Relief Factor. It's not chemicals. It's botanicals, 100% natural and fish oil, wild farmed fish oil. It's all there to help your body do a better job. It does it for me. 80% of the people who get the three-week quick start pack buy it again. So you can go to relieffactor.com or you can call them at 800-500-8384. Relief Factor. When we get back, we'll look into that uh, Kennedy bomb shelter. There's news on Paul Manafort. There's a whole bunch of craziness going on in the world today. And maybe, maybe the weirdest stories of the week from our friend Angie. Stay tuned. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Halftime show over. Time to get into the second half of the program today. Uh, I thought we've done a a whole lot on North Korea, and we'll continue, though, as uh, Mark is on the phone. Is this Mark from Maryland? My call screener's not working today. Yeah, this is Mark from Maryland. How you doing there, buddy? I'm good. Let me, get my, let me get my Hillary clip ready to make your cat go crazy. No, 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 no. Not, don't do that. Don't do okay, that. Okay, I'm kidding. Oh. Kidding. Uh, he's sitting so, right here in my lap, and I don't need traction marks. Okay. Uh, uh, where are you on the North Korea situation? Well, you know, we have the ultimate secret weapon to take care of him. All right. We're going to send Chris Christie over there, bring in a whole bunch of food with him, and have an eat-a-thon. Whoever survives wins. <laughs> Competitive eating to, uh, to solve a world crisis. Uh, you know, I don't think either of those guys could keep up with Joey Chestnut. So if we're going to go that way, and first of all, I don't think we... I think there's more danger. There's more danger in the after effects of like a kimchi eating contest than than anything the nuclear threat brings. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm just yeah, whoever, I see, wins, whoever wins the competition button gets whoever wins the competition gets possession of Dennis Rodman, which kind of would be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Mark, I, you know, there's not a pearl in every oyster. It's an interesting effort. I think uh, a lot of people would like to see Chris Christie go, but he's pretty much, I think he's pretty much going to go off on his own anyway. I think he's serious about trying to become a, uh, a talk radio guy in the world of sports, though, not in politics. Uh, so, yeah, get ready for that. Okay. But thank you, All my right. friend. Okay, thank bye-bye. you. Uh, big news out of out of New York, and I'm actually trying to get our friend Chef Carl Ruiz to weigh in on this on this subject, our, our buddy um, the Mad Cuban, because next week, next week for just I think it's three days only, a pop up restaurant from the company that gives us Cheetos is opening in New York. 
for just three days. The restaurant is going to feature actual menu items from celebrity chef Ann Burrell. And it's going to be in the trendy Tribeca neighborhood, uh, West Broadway. Open uh, Tuesday, the 15th through Thursday. You can get a, a reservation via open table. You want to guess? You want to guess you, you actually have a shot? No, you're not getting a shot. But Cheetos, who, who you know, just... A simple Cheeto can be such a great snack. Cheeto has this this entire menu, and they're using their their new kind of fancy schmancy flavors that they have. They are going to have um, flaming hot and white cheddar mac and Cheetos, which they say has a phenomenal flavor and texture, and it has that that pop of Cheetos. They the full menu which uh, I'm, I'm just guessing that Pat and Stu would love, love to be a part of this. The full menu includes Cheetos fried pickles, so Cheetos encrusted fried pickles, which actually sounds good. Cheetos grilled cheese and soup. Hmm, how are they doing that? It's a tomato soup with a small grilled cheese sandwiches filled with bacon, tomato, and Cheetos. Bacon, tomato, and Cheetos in a cheese sandwich. Interesting. Cheetos meatballs, which apparently is like a a classic Italian recipe that they're going to take pork, veal, and and, uh, beef and make the meatballs and then add an herb tomato sauce with sprinkled ricotta cheese. I don't know where the Cheetos are. They're putting Cheetos in there, I guess. Perfectly fried green tomatoes will will uh, include tomatoes breaded with a crispy white cheddar Cheeto crust, fried and paired with a fresh corn and cherry tomato arugula. And uh, believe it or not, there are Cheetos desserts on this menu. Yeah, so after you get done with the uh, flaming Hot and White Cheddar Mac and Cheetos, the Cheetos mix-ups, which are going to be a chicken milanaise that's encrusted with Cheetos, and spicy Cheetos nachos and uh, chicken tacos with flaming hot lemon Cheeto flavors. After you finish the main courses, then you can actually have Cheeto desserts. I know what you're thinking. That sounds disgusting. Does it? Cheetos, Sweetos, crusted cheesecake? It's a goat cheese cheesecake with a crunchy Sweetos crust. Now that sounds pretty good. And they're also going to add a blueberry compote, sort of like the icing on the top. Mm. There's Cheetos Sweetos sweet and salty cookies. So they're going to make cookies using Cheetos. And then white cheddar Cheetos and Cheetos Sweetos apple crepes. Now, an apple crepe with a little bit of white cheddar flavor, this could be, this could be fantastic. So if, if you're a, a person who, who wants to attend this, if you're a person who wants to be there for the Cheetos pop-up restaurant, you have to put your name on the list. And you have to go to thespottedcheetah.com. Thespottedcheetah.com. That's the name of the Cheetos pop-up restaurant. Only three days in New York City. And I'm thinking, it just might behoove me to be there for the opening of the Cheetos restaurant. Watch this space. It's opening on the 15th, 16th, and 17th. 
if we sound like we're coming from a very noisy place next week, you'll know why, because we'll be at the Cheetos pop-up restaurant. But I, I was hoping that uh, Chef Ruiz might pop in and let us know if he can make it happen. But uh, we're, we're trying to get him on the horn. Uh, speaking of other strange stories that are out there, uh, you know, you know, at the end of a um, news program, when there's often that one little story that just seems really strange or the anchor doesn't seem to be into it, you know, they'd rather be doing real news. Well, this story was sent to us by uh, one of the one of the stunt brainiacs here, Nancy, who's often uh, responding to my my Twitter questions. And this is uh, a BBC News guy, Simon McCoy, doesn't really understand or appreciate the video that he's been given by his news director. You know, someone says, Simon, we're going to finish the show with a, a clip about some surfing dogs. Simon doesn't really appear to get it or appreciate it. And you can tell by the lack of support vocally and the lack of interest he shows in the explanation of the surfing dogs from America. Now, you're watching BBC News. Just bear in mind it is August. Uh, this does not look like a walk in the park. Dog owners and their pets in California have hit the waves in the second annual World Dog Surfing Championships. Here are the pictures. He looks so unhappy as he throws to the pictures. There's also style, there's confidence, there's the size of the wave. Some events have really big waves, some have very small waves. There's a lot of style and techniques. It's really interesting. So this is what's known as a package. Simon throws to the package and you see people who have brought their dogs there. And these are dogs on surfboards, just riding about 15 feet on a surfboard. Some of them standing, some of them laying down, holding on for dear life. The competitor's main challenge is to stay afloat on the board. This is in Pacifica near San Francisco, but there are also prizes for the best dressed and tandem surfing dogs. The winner, of course, being crowned top dog. That's a shame. We've run out of pictures. <laughs> I love the sigh in his voice at one point, and then at the very end, as the video runs out, and he announces that they, they award top dog. He, he just lets the sarcasm roll, saying, that's a shame. We've run out of pictures. Oh, Simon McCoy, thank you. Thank you for the driest moment of the day so far, on a day when we need a little distraction from the possibility of a nuclear war breaking out over in North Korea. Michael Pelka and Puro Pelka. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. We're getting into the uh, Donald Trump time machine. You didn't know that? The president gets a time machine 
and he can do, he can tra- time travel. And I'm going to take you back to 1999, when then 53 year old Donald Trump. Think about that. 53 year old Donald Trump appeared with uh, Tim Russert on Meet the Press, and the subject. North Korea. What do we do about North Korea? The real estate developer who had kind of been dipping his toe in the politics and the political headlines had this to say. First, I'd negotiate. I would negotiate like crazy, and I'd make sure that we tried to get the best deal possible. Look, Tim, if a man walks up to you in a street in Washington, because this happens in New York, but if a man walks up and puts a gun to your head and says, give me your money, wouldn't you rather know where he's coming from before he had the gun in his hand? And these people, in three or four years, are going to be having nuclear weapons. They're going to have those weapons pointed all over the world and specifically at the United States. And wouldn't you be better off solving this really potentially unbelievable, and the biggest problem, I mean, we can talk about the economy, we can talk about social security. The biggest problem this world has is nuclear proliferation. And we have a country out there in North Korea, which is sort of wacko, which is not a, dumb, not a bunch of dummies, and they are going out and they are developing nuclear weapons. So first of all, let's understand some historical perspective here. Uh, 1999, this was five years after Bill Clinton talked to us as a nation and said, we, we got this North Korea thing down, we're going to, we're going to deal with them. We're going to coddle them. We're going to make sure they don't have a nuclear program. So you fast forward five years, and here's Donald Trump, real estate developer, possible outside political candidate, not even really thinking about it seriously. Real estate developer Donald Trump talking about North Korea and its nuclear problem. So what do we know that in the five years since Bill Clinton said we were going we were gonna to take care of it, we didn't take care of it. And that Donald Trump said four years from now, which meant 2003, we were going to be faced with a, a bigger problem with the nuclear North Korea pointing missiles at everybody, everybody in the world, including the United States. The Trumpster continues. They're not doing it because they're having fun doing it. They're doing it for a reason. And wouldn't it be good to sit down and really negotiate something and ideally negotiate? Now, if that negotiation doesn't work, you better solve the problem now than solve it later, Tim. And you know it, and every politician knows it, and nobody wants to talk about it. Jimmy Carter, who I really like, and he went over there. It was so soft. These people are laughing at us. The former general of the Air Force, Merrill McPeak, the former Secretary of Defense, Les Aspen, said you could not launch a preemptive strike against North Korea because the nuclear fallout could be devastating to the Asian Peninsula. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about us using nuclear weapons. I'm saying that they have areas where they're developing missiles. No, but taking out their nuclear do you know that potential this country, would create Tim, a fallout. Tim, do you know that this country went out and gave them nuclear reactors free fuel for 10 years. We, we virtually tried to bribe them into stopping and they're continuing to do what they're doing and they're laughing at us. They think we're a bunch of dummies. I'm saying that we have to do something to stop. But if the military Ideally, told you, Mr. Trump, we can't do this. You give me two names. You're giving me two names. I don't know. You want to do it in five years when they have warheads all over the place, every one of them pointing to New York City, to Washington and every one of our. Is that when you want to do it or do you want to do something now? Or do you want to do something now? Donald Trump in 1999. Compare that to Bill Clinton in 1994. 
And, you know, Trump does sound a little more presidential then than some of the speeches he gives now. I do admit the Donald Trump of 1999 seems a little slicker, if you will. Maybe a little more presidential. Very interesting, is it not? Comparing 1994, 1999, and 2017. 18 years before Donald Trump was sitting in the White House. He was making predictions that are now just absolutely spot on true that we had this. And and Russert was trying to make it clear you can't knock out those nukes because you're going to have nuclear fallout. Well, you might be able to disable that program in a cyber attack. You might be able to address it that way. And then you send in the military to, uh, as as General Mattis said, bring down the regime. And that really means just you-know-who, Kim Jong-un. It's a very interesting little bit of history, isn't it? When you look back and you see 1999, Donald Trump actually warned everybody of this. After 1994, Bill Clinton said, we got this, we're negotiating, we're handling it. The only thing missing from Trump's analysis was Iran's involvement, which I think is evident. Iran apparently very involved. Uh, There's more on the horizon. We still have to get to that uh, farewell to a Hollywood legend. I know, I mentioned it yesterday. I'll get to it today, I promise. Plus, Angie called. She wants to get into uh, strangest stories of the day. God only knows what they're going to be. We'll deal with that next hour on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, isn't this special? In the third hour of the show, we get Beijing telling us that we should uh, we should tone down our rhetoric. <laughs> Yeah, not me personally, but uh, Beijing wants the American government to kind of tone it down. Avoid provoking. I think you're closing the barn door after the horse is out there, Beijing. Yesterday, the president's fire and fury statement has some people concerned. Now, the White House is saying the, uh, the tone of the president was premeditated. The words were his own. So the president of the United States made the decision to go out and say fire and fury. But he uh, he had preset or predetermined the tone. And we're watching this because there is supposed to be a State Department briefing on the North Korean situation, the threat from North Korea, coming up any minute now. So, uh, Dallas, if you can have... If you can have that dialed in somewhere, we might need to grab that just in case, just in case. And that's a little little look inside the detailed operation here at the Blaze Radio Network. If you want to join the conversation this hour, 888 900 
888-900-3393. I'm, I'm kind of wondering what we should do. What do you think we should do as a nation? Is it our obligation to eliminate the nuclear threat from North Korea? Is it our business what happens in that region? Well, certainly with the 11th largest economy in the world sitting right there in South Korea, it certainly seems like that's kind of an important thing to do. China, somebody who we owe a lot of money to, but also somebody who is complicit in dealing with the North Koreans, uh, they're not interested in war. Russia doesn't want war either. They've got Russia has a border with North Korea that would be flooded with refugees were there a war. Russia doesn't want that. So I know Russia doesn't want it. China doesn't want it. South Korea certainly doesn't want it. Japan does not want a war with North Korea. And Guam, who... Can you imagine you're a Guamanian? And yes, that's their name. Guamanians. That's what you call the people who live in Guam. You're a Guamanian and you wake up today and you're like, ah, I'll just go outside and get myself the paper and maybe get a cup of coffee today. What? We're in the targeted zone here. We are now the, the, uh, the group that has been selected to receive this gift from North Korea. So the Guamanians, an American territory, just like Puerto Rico, they don't... Uh, they don't pay federal income taxes, and they can't vote in presidential elections, but they have American passports. And we have long-range bombers based there. So we, we need to figure out what, what we should do. What would you do? You're the president of the United States. You want to call up and weigh in on this? 888 888-900-3393. I think, I think it's a big deal. We'll get to your opinions if you want to share. I want to talk about something that happened last week. Do you remember Donald Trump having the rally in West Virginia? He was in Huntington, West Virginia. And he had a group of people behind him, as they always do. There's folks back there holding up their signs, and they have their Make America Great hats or their VFW hats, whatever they've got on. They're all... It's almost like they've been cast to be there. You know, we always, I'm always suspicious of who is behind the president at some of those events. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a, a notice on Facebook about that rally. Sent me a notice saying, hey, that guy behind the president, he's a real dirtbag. I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? What do, you, what do you mean by that? He goes, no, the guy, there was a guy that apparently everybody saw this guy and he was very excited and very enthusiastic. And, um, and because of this guy's enthusiasm, people were like, well, we got to find out who that guy is. And his name is Richard Paulus. And he's from Kentucky. He was at the West Virginia rally, and there were people posting about Richard Paulus all over the Internet. And I said, well, what, what makes you think this guy is, as you say, a real dirtbag? And my, my friend said, well, um, he is, um, 
He's a surgeon convicted of fraud for performing unnecessary surgeries, falsifying records, billing Medicare and Medicaid for millions. And I was like, well, wait a minute. That's what, And he posted that on Facebook. And I said, hold, hold on a second. And I tracked down the source of the story because, as, as we know, most people won't read behind the headline and the two lines of text in any Facebook posting. Well, this guy, this Dr. Richard Paulus, right behind Donald Trump in his black T-shirt, red baseball cap, said, Made America, make America great again, high-fiving everybody all around him, yelling to Trump, we love you. So they, people figured out who he was and started running videos of him. He was also pointed out on television shows. Now, the story, the coverage in the paper, in the Charleston paper, the Gazette Mail, says that, that this, this gentleman, Mr. Paulus, Dr. Paulus, was con- indicted on 11 counts of fraud in September of 2015. 11 counts of fraud. And this guy happened to be right behind the president in the crowd. I guess I, I wonder what we'd find if we checked every crowd behind every presidential candidate. But they're saying that this guy overbilled and performed things that didn't need to be performed, unnecessary heart procedures, catheterization, stents, etc., which ran up bills and charged Medicare and Medicaid. Now, I will never endorse, never endorse anybody fleecing the government. This was 2015 when these 11 indictment counts were levied against this guy. Before that, well ahead of that, he retired from the hospital where he had been working in 2013. His medical license had been inactive since 2014. And um, he had agreed to retire, basically. It sounds like it might have been a, some sort of plea agreement. Now, last October, this guy was convicted of needlessly performing procedures and overcharging insurers. And he said, I, I don't feel this is right. He and his attorney argued with federal prosecutors saying that you didn't provide enough evidence in your case. In March of this year, this guy was acquitted of all charges. And a hearing that had been scheduled for April was canceled. He's also agreed to settle some of the claims of the government. So he's, he's making restitution. And hospital officials said there was no wrongdoing. No wrongdoing. I'm sorry. I made a mistake here. The hospital has agreed to settle the claims of the government, not the doctor. So this doctor who's being railed against on the Internet, this doctor who is who's being uh, dragged through the mud on the Internet and been told that he is he's the problem. I'll read you the one from. My friend's Facebook page, the guy behind Trump last night, the West Virginia rally, convicted of fraud for performing unnecessary surgeries. Well, if you read that and don't follow up with the appeal and the guy's exoneration, you would think that this was a convicted felon. Not so. Exonerated. Not guilty. 
I just want us all to know that we need to go a little bit more below the surface. We need to dig just a little bit deeper. This guy's, this guy's face and name and that charge are now being forwarded, shared by people all over the Internet. But unless you read more of the story, I, I think you're only spreading lies. Make sure that you have the entire story before you go dragging somebody through the mud. I don't know this guy from Adam. I'm just saying that, that if, you're going to, if you're going to go after somebody, be accurate. Be fair. Because we, we owe that to that person and we expect it for ourselves. If you want people to treat you fairly, you better be open and honest and treat them fairly too. I know it sounds like a little... A little preachy, but guess what? I don't want to be someone that is dragged through the mud like this guy was too. Just absolutely needs needs to be rectified. I'm going to step aside because we might try and pick up the State Department briefing. It looks like they're queuing up for it, and they might be uh, might be getting ready. So we'll come back. If not, uh, I have uh, I have the uh, check in on the. The nuclear alarm clock, how close are we to midnight? Well, I'll tell you that, or we'll listen to the State Department next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. We're trying to keep an eye out because the State Department's supposed to give us a briefing and maybe tell us what the heck is going on, the latest in the, um, the North Korea situation. There is a group that's called the um, Atomic Scientists, and they put out the bulletin of the Atomic Scientists They've been doing this for, I think, 70 years. 70 years they've been posting the Doomsday Clock. And the Doomsday Clock is a, a creation of this group who monitors nuclear armaments and the activity around nuclear warheads all around the world and the tensions that may or may not be connected to it. And on a regular basis, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists will put out a statement. Initially, it was a, like a six-page black-and-white newsletter. Now it's a, a full-on magazine. But as, as they hit their 70th year of warning us of how close we are to midnight, and midnight is doomsday, basically. Midnight is, is where we are when it's all about to go down. So as of, as of January of this year, they told us that the, um, the clock, the doomsday clock was sitting at two and a half minutes to midnight. And I wonder, I wonder if, if any of the, the, the efforts of the last 24 hours on both sides North Korea and America's side have moved us any closer. Now, to, to be clear, this, this group 
the atomic scientists are also uh, probably more progressive than I would appreciate in their statement that came out the early part of this year. They talk about the fact that uh, there's clear need for climate action. So there are people who are who are um, climate change folks there. And they are they are although they are climate change people and they want us away from carbon energy. They're also the nuclear people who want to make sure that we don't have a, a nuclear accident that takes the world down and destroys us all. Now, it's um, it's kind of contradictory because they're the people with the doomsday clock who tell us that after we've, we've been at three minutes to midnight for the last few years, we are now at the closest we have been since the early 80s. And so I guess this is why everybody's a little bit concerned. They say, according to the the Science and Security Board of this nuclear science group, they say, quote, the probability of global catastrophe is very high and the actions needed to reduce the risks of disaster must be taken soon. We find the danger in 2017 to be even greater, the need for action more urgent. It is two and a half minutes to midnight. The clock is ticking. Global danger looms, guiding humanity away. We must act immediately and guide humanity away from the brink. If we do not, if public officials do not, wise citizens must step forward and lead the way. So that's the statement. I'll tweet out a link to the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists because this was January as as President Trump was about to be inaugurated and Kim Jong-un was about to start his latest barrage of tests leading up to where we are today. But in January, we were two and a half minutes to midnight. Yeah, that's a little disturbing. I know. I know. I also did post a vital question just now. So if you'd like to participate, I would like to know what do we do? Seriously, what do we do? Is there something we should do? What do you think? I, I, I would love to see America preemptively handle this, but then is there the risk that of the thousands of pieces of artillery that North Korea has embedded along the demilitarized zone, will those instantly be launched? Currently, in very early voting, 38% of you say preemptively strike. 27% of you say, let China handle it. 8% are saying, do nothing. And 27% of you are flummoxed as well. 27% of you fall into the same category that I found myself in. I'm not really sure. But I take you back to October 22nd of 1962. When John Kennedy said, let no one doubt that this is a difficult and dangerous effort on which we have set out. No one can foresee precisely what course it will take or what costs or casualties will be incurred. Many months in which both our patience and our will will be tested. Months in which many threats and denunciations will keep us aware of our dangers. But the greatest danger to all would be to do nothing. I point forward 
to another issue that I think North Korea is using in its favor here. What's happening in the early part of 2018? Anybody? What's happening in 2018? In Seoul, South Korea? It, isn't that where the Winter Olympics will be held? Aren't we just around the corner from an Olympic Games? Do you think all of this is time to make sure that everybody in South Korea knows, hey, we got an Olympics coming here. We can't have this Bobo doing all. We can't have him holding us hostage during the Olympics. I think everybody's got that in the back of their mind. None of this is random. There are no coincidences. It's all got to be solved. Seriously. I know. I know, I know, I know. It's all, it's all nuclear bombs all the time today. No, this is just a serious issue. And look, in 1962, we, got, we dealt with it. In the 80s, 80s, when there was a little bit of brinksmanship between the United States and the remnants of the Soviet Union, we were okay, too. We dealt with, we dealt with the, uh, what was it, Pakistan? Had some threats at one point, too. Not against us, against its neighbors. If we solved it before, we can solve it again. Come on back. We've got crazy news with our friend Angie Austin just around the corner. And uh, Jed Clampett's house is for sale. If you got the money. Maybe you got to win the uh, Powerball. Come on back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. America Now with Buck Sexton. On the left, Democrats, liberals, tearing down America is like their national pastime. They love that. Every night, Buck is in the Freedom Hut. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. Breaking down the important issues. Class anxiety, though, is the defining characteristic of the American experience. America Now with Buck Sexton. Some Democrats I know are very patriotic. Look, it's a radio show. I'm having a little fun, everybody. Let's not get too crazy. 7 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. We are hanging out trying to see if we can listen in on the State Department briefing. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, before we get to that, let me, uh, let me remind you about Relief Factor. I am the evangelist for Relief Factor because it's worked for me. Relief Factor is a, um, such a gift. And I got the three-week quick start pack back in early April. I started taking it three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It comes prepackaged with the fish oil and the, the botanicals all there in the little capsules. And it's not chemicals. It's natural. It's wild harvested fish. It's a 100% botanical mixture that, that removes the, the inflammation around my joints so that diminishes the pain. I no longer take anything for pain other than relief factor. Get the three-week quick start pack. It's $19.95. For gosh sakes, it's, a, it's 95 cents a day. 
and 80% of the people who try it, it must be working for them because they're reordering it. Seven to 10 days is how, it, how long it takes to typically get into your system and start helping. For me, it was day eight. Pick up the phone and call them, 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384, or do what I did. Go to relieffactor.com and check it out for yourself, Relief Factor. Is our friend Angie on the phone? Is that what you were saying in Dallas, Ellie? Oh, this is good news. See, there are strange stories out there, and I haven't even discussed the list with Angie, but I, before I, I say hello to her and before I turn it over, to Angie, um, there's there's a house for sale that if I thought I could deal with California and I won the massive Powerball lottery coming up, I think I would like to live in this house. It's, it's 25,000 square feet. It has a tennis court. It has a, a covered parking garage that will hold 40 cars. It... <laughs> It's 10.3 acres in Bel Air, and it was the home, the backdrop for the Beverly Hillbillies television show back in 1962. And of course, there is a cement pond. It's only $350 million if you want to buy it. Come on, Beverly Hillbillies. Now, just so you know, 25,000 square feet, that's, that's huge for a mansion, but it's also not even half the size of the White House, 55,000 square feet. So think about that for a minute. Let's welcome our friend Angie Austin from uh, Daybreak USA, I believe, correct? Angie Austin, hello yeah. and welcome. Yeah. Thank you. I got it right, huh? My show or my name? Both. Yes, you did, both. And with your Newsheimers, that's impressive. Well, you know, with the, uh, with the, like, like the SATs, you get credit for your name. I get two points on this one. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's a, quite a home. Uh, Beverly Hillbillies. I can't believe it's gotten that expensive, but uh, that kind of acreage in Bel Air is like unheard of. Well, plus 25,000 square feet, that's kind of gigantic. And they have an aerial shot. So I start counting chimneys because then I think about how many fireplaces there are. There's about mm -hmm. a dozen fireplaces in this thing just based on the chimneys. It's got to be. It's massive. Yeah, at least that, I'd say, because a lot of them do those double-sided deals where they both hook into the same chimney. It's, it's amazing. Well, it used to be owned by the guy who founded Univision, the Spanish-language uh, television network, and he just passed away this year at the age of 86. But they are asking $350 million if you won... The Powerball coming up uh, Thursday, is it? Or is it today? I think it's today. If you win the Powerball, you just hand the check over. Just give the ticket to the family and take the keys to the house. Yeah, but do you know what kind of hassle comes along with a $350 million house? Then you have to have, like, you know, the guy that, like, opens the door and waters the plants in the front area. The guy that waters the plants in the side area. You know, and then you have some weirdo that lives in the basement that was the caretaker ever since, you know, the old man was born, you know, that comes along with the estate. You know, well, you, much, wait, you don't have that at your house? 
You know, I actually do have someone that stays with us that helps us. We've had her for 10 years, but she's like the grandma to my kids. So, yeah, but she doesn't. Uh, sometimes she's just here to, um, you know, make maybe a, she's making a, a nice lunch right now. I thought you were going to tell me it's your husband. He's the weirdo that lives in the basement, waters the plants and all that stuff. <laughs> no, it would be my mother. Yeah, the mother-in-law. Yeah, lives in the basement. But well, you're my, getting yeah. along now, right? You and your mother-in-law? Oh, my mother-in-law and I now? Yeah, it took like 13 years, although last time I saw her and I left. Because we, 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 we used to do the thing where I'd say, I, I love you. And she'd be like, well, that is good. And then uh, I would go, okay, goodbye, love you. Fine then. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to wear her down. So over 13 years, like about a year ago, I said, all right, love you. Love you. I'm like, what? Who are you? Like, where is my mother-in-law? So we just left Chicago, right? And as I hugged her, patted her back, I said, love you. She goes, okay, then. I'm like, oh, we had revert after all this time. Really, lady? So three steps up and four steps back. We're back behind the line. Yep, you kill them with kindness, my friend. I'm just going to keep on trucking. I love that. I love that about you. Now, Ange, I, I rely on you, especially on days like today. I've spent a lot of time today talking about the doomsday clock, how close to midnight we are, all this stuff. Uh, I need a couple of wacky stories. And you said something about a woman who tweeted a thread about a man who scheduled six dates in a row. What? Okay, so um, just to just go back to Kim Jong-un for one second. If you have a crazy little Asian man in platform shoes with a bowl haircut, what you do is you have an Amazon drone come with the delivery. He thinks it's a, not, a brand new pair of shiny platform shoes and cacao, surprise. Like, I don't know why. You know, is that wrong of me? Is that like too soon to talk about assassinations of Kim Jong-un? Is that wrong? Am I, I'm going to get in trouble, aren't I? Oh. Well, I'm just going to say Angie Austin, Daybreak USA, everybody. That's... Are all Kim Jong-un's friends going to call me or relatives? Oh, wait, he killed all his relatives with wild packs of dogs. Remember that? How the aunt and the uncle, like, went had met some untimely demise? Or his brother, who just What's, wanted to, like, travel to, like, the beach to have some fun with, like, a girlfriend. And all of a sudden, he's touched with something that immediately kills him. I don't think he has a lot of supporters left outside of his country. Well, have you seen the pictures of the guys who have all the, all the badges, all the medals? Like in his country, his generals, if you look at the pictures of his generals, they all have these giant, giant coats. They wear their military coats and they are all covered with rows and rows and medals. And somebody asked me what they haven't been actually in combat in North Korea for like 60 years. So what are the medals for? And I, the only thing I could think of was like Pokemon Go. That's got to be what it is. Pokemon Go, or like each month they survive within his hierarchy, they get a medal because it's so like amazing to each other. Like, whoa, Bob, you're still here. Oh my gosh, Ted, you made it. You know? There are no Bobs and Teds in the North Korean military. Let's just. I, let's am, just... I am protecting their identities and I'm using faux names in order to not put them in harm's way. I mean, faux they names for would him. be. Phone names, P-H-O, that would be a Vietnamese name. I'm just saying. Now, tell me the story of the woman who tweets okay. about the man who scheduled six dates in a row. Okay, so when I lived in Los Angeles and I worked for NBC, I did the matchmaker thing. And I even did like the Christian, you know, matchmaking service. But it's all like way past us now, Mike. They have like Tinder and Bumble and things where like within like the flick of a finger, you can say someone's hideous or, oh, I'm interested. 
So in this particular case, this guy who later claims he's efficient, that's why he claims he he booked six back-to-back dates. Now, this is Philadelphia, and in his defense, it is the city of brotherly love, and apparently this brother wants to spread a lot of love because he, and by the way, the girls are all real attractive, and they look completely different. Like every, like you'd think there'd be like a theme. He didn't care. He didn't care. He just want, no, there was no theme. There was no blondes. There was no like all brunettes. No, all, you know, a little bit chunkier girls, a skinnier girl. No, there was no theme. And so, so wait, yeah, well, there is one theme. I think we understand. It was, it was a babe buffet. Yes, it was. It was. So he, so the first girl figures this out. She sees other girls start showing up and she introduces herself and he tried to put her in the friend zone. Like, oh, here's my friend. Uh, uh, what's your name again? Lisette. It's Lisette Pilant. So anyway, she's 26 years old. She goes to meet this guy, Jason. The first sign to me that there was trouble. He had a sparkly cane, like a cane with sparkles. And he said, you know, you can get a sparkly cane at, 20, at CVS for 23 bucks and call yourself a pimp. For me, that would be the end of my date right there. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm swiping left after I hear that line. Yeah, yeah. any dude with a sparkly cane that invites me on a date, says you, you can buy this at CVS at the drugstore and call yourself a pimp, I, I'm, I'm done with a date. So she introduces herself to the next girl and says, are you here for a date with him? And she says, yeah. She said, so am I. Within a short period of time, another chick shows up. He doesn't even space them far enough apart from each other that they don't bump into each other. So by the end of the night, it ends up there's six women and they've made a laughing stock out of him. They're doing like, you know, live feeds and they're, you know, tweeting and they're pictures of themselves. They're having drinks together. They're putting them on his bill. You know, it, it, it got completely out of hand. And then at the end, he said, they weren't really dates. They were pre-interviews for dates because he's very efficient. This guy's a genius. This guy's a genius, and he's going to get a show on CBS. That's what's going to happen next. Probably. I'm guaranteeing. Hey, Angie, Angie, I'm up against the clock here, and I got to I got to run out because the State Department's talking about what's going on in uh, North Korea. Where do we find you, my friend? Uh, DaybreakUSA.com, but complaints, just uh, Michael Pelka on Twitter. Thank you. Very good. Stunt Brain on Twitter, DaybreakUSA.com, if you want to find out more about Angie. Thanks, my friend. We'll talk again soon, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo Show, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, and uh, we are monitoring the State Department press briefing, which there's nothing really new there. We are hearing the official statement is the U.S. is speaking with one voice on North Korea. We are united. Basically, if you read the statements from General Mattis, it's North Korea's got to give up its nuclear ambitions. If you read the statement from the president, North Korea's got to stop threatening people or else. And if you listen to the statement earlier from the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, you heard, in fact, that there is no imminent attack. There is no, no, no major concern. Granted, there is a situation we need to deal with, but 
Tillerson, who was on a plane and it was kind of loud, had this to say. What the president was just reaffirming is the United States has the capability to fully defend itself from any attack and defend our allies, and we will do so. And so the American people should sleep well at night. That was uh, Secretary of State Tillerson. I believe he was in Guam. He went to Guam after the Korean guy, that little chubby guy with the bad haircut, said that they were looking at isolating Guam. He talked about doing a couple different things. So we'll be on it, but I, I love to hear from the State Department that we are, in fact, speaking with one voice on North Korea. One voice. A couple other things you got to watch out for. Wasn't Ashley Judd trying to run for Senate? Didn't Ashley Judd consider running for Senate a couple of years ago? In Kentucky, I believe it was. I got to tell you, Kentucky, I think you dodged a bullet because, you know, Hollywood wanted to get behind Ashley Judd. Hollywood wanted to jump in on that. But Ashley Judd... Boy, what what a disaster this would have been. Ashley Judd apparently had a little run-in at the airport over the weekend. Ashley Judd got, got stopped at the airport. And um, she got really mad because the security guard at the airport called her sweetheart. And I, that deserves an entire Facebook post. I am Ashley Judd, and I'm going to do a little live post. Are you? Uh, from the airport. I'm traveling today. And this is the kind of thing to me that happens, which I categorize as everyday sexism. And it's so easy to let it go, not to speak up, particularly when it's so easy for someone to push back and say, oh, I was just being polite or something like that. So I was coming through security, and a guy said, Hey, sweetheart. And I said, I'm not your sweetheart. I am your client. So I was already setting a boundary. And then when I was setting my things out, he said, hey, nice dress. I didn't hear him saying anything about the attire of any of the other folks in the entire line. And I am in one of the most traveled airports in the world. I'm Ashley Judd goes on for five minutes to slam everyday sexism because someone said nice dress. And granted, hey, sweetheart, you know, it is a little demeaning if you if you possibly hear it that way. But maybe somebody was just trying to be nice to you because you're a damn celebrity. She ended up talking to the manager about the experience and said she extracted the right apology and it ended positively. Thank God, because we're not worried about the world blowing up or anything. You dodged a bullet, Kentucky. But then again, she sounds like a senator, doesn't she? Entitled. You're my employee, airport worker. Oh, pray for this country. Pray for sanity. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.